Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Corey Abbott, the set, he fires. And a swing and a high drive right field deep. Forget about it. Palacios turns around and watches it fly on out of here. Schwarber at second, the 1-1 pitch. Swing a long drive left center field. Way back it goes. Hernandez watching and it is gone. Two run homer, Reese Hoskins. His fourth home run of the series. 6-0 Phillies. Abbott working quickly, fires. Swing a high fly ball, deep right field. Forget about it again. Headed toward the second deck and gone. Here's the set of the pitch. Swing and a drive it well to deep right center field. This is way back and one up off the fence. Shoots right to Lane Thomas. Rounding third, coming home is Marsh. He will score on a double by Nick Maton. The Phillies have plated five runs against Victor Arano here in the bottom of the eighth inning. And it's now the Phillies 13 and the Nationals 1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, August 8th. 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the podcast. And so I am joined by the mastermind of the Nats Chat podcast, the man who deserves all of the credit for this podcast. And I guess you have to say also all of the blame for this podcast, uh, depending on your perspective. Tim Shovers is with me. And unfortunately, we have another Nationals loss to discuss with you. A 13-1 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies on Sunday afternoon, completing a four-game sweep in which the Nats, over the final three games of the series, got outscored by a combined 31-8. You know, you take a step back, Tim. This was an historic week for the Nats because of the trading away of Juan Soto. This was not a good week for the Nats because of the trading away of Juan Soto and for some other things as well, like Tanner Rainey underwent his Tommy John surgery this past week, that kind of a thing. And you talk about an exclamation mark. You talk about like the perfect punctuation on this week. This series pretty much captured it. One of the worst series I can ever remember for Nats pitching and just a thorough thrashing at a National League East rival. Yeah, there's been a lot of bottom moments this year, certainly, and this one felt like one of them might even be, if you move the trade aside for a second, just in terms of wins and losses, this series does feel like the bottom, Al. I mean, they were completely uncompetitive, and it just seemed like the Phillies were heading up there ready to tee off, and everyone was going up to the pad their stats. That bottom of the eighth inning, I never thought it was going to end. You know, poor Victor Arano out there, just on top of everything else with Corey Abbott. Yeah, it's just, 
the stats are getting really grisly and really gruesome. And it is like, how are they possibly going to fill nine innings a day for the next 52 games? Yeah, it's not competitive. You know, the Nats are coming off like a 4-8 team. I mean, that's really what they're looking like here right now. And, you know, we figured we would see at least some of this post the trade deadline. I think it's kind of funny that the Nats only ended up making the two trades, so didn't end up trading away as many people as we thought slash hoped that the team would. But obviously, you trade away your two best hitters this season in Juan Soto and Josh Bell, and things figure to get worse, not better. And at least so far, things have gotten worse, not better. The Nats now this season, a major league worst, 36 and 74, including 9 and 42 against the National League East. I mean, I really cannot get over that number. 42 losses in 51 games for the Nats against NL East teams this season. And that Nats run differential for the season now is down to a major league worst, 196. The Nats this season have been outscored by nearly 200 runs, and we're not even in the middle of August. Who knows what that run differential could end up being. But, you know, Tim, this really was something else from a pitching standpoint for the Nats. We know that the Nats pitching isn't very good. We know that Citizens Bank ballpark is a bandbox of a ballpark. And yet still, what ended up happening in this series, I think, was stunning. The Phillies, over the four games in this series, hit 14 home runs. That is a record for the Phillies in a regular season series. Yes, a franchise record for the Phillies in a series, in a regular season. 14 home runs by Philadelphia over the four games. And each of the four games featured a Nat starting pitcher just get ravaged. Paolo Espino in game one, Josiah Gray in game two, Patrick Corbin in game three, Corey Abbott in Game 4. Those four guys over their four starts in this series combined to allow 24 runs in 12 and a third innings. I mean, think about that. 24 runs in 12 and a third innings. We know that the starting pitching was the foundation upon which the Nats had all of their success, right? The eight consecutive winning seasons, the five playoff seasons, the four NL East winning seasons, the World Series winning season. It's almost like so fitting that this bad week ends with not just this bad series, but a bad series in which the thing that had been the thing for years for the Nats, the starting pitching, just ends up completely crumbling as it did in this series. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) they have the worst starting pitching I anecdotally have ever seen. I'm sure there's been worse. I didn't watch the 2003 Tigers every day, but we're in that territory. They're looking like a team that's going to end up with like 40-some wins probably, and with that is obviously awful pitching. I do want to say, though, Al, when you mentioned the 12 and the third combined innings by the starters, there is a complete game in there. Let's not forget Paulo Espino uh, for his four-inning effort in the rain-shortened affair on Thursday. But yeah, Al, I mean, it's just, you know, Corey Abbott today, he has a great first inning, six pitches, and walks a tightrope and gets out of a jam, and then it just becomes, you know, batting practice like it was Saturday night. And I know that... The Phillies in this ballpark, that this lineup is just the worst possible matchup right now for the Nats. Like, it's just, you know, everything goes against them. But, yeah, Al, you, you talk about it. I mean, every night used to be look forward to who the Nats had pitching, and now it is just the bullpen's going to get ready to go in the third inning, it feels like, every single game. Yeah, and you're seeing guys pitch who should not be pitching. I mean, Corey Abbott got shredded on Sunday. Corey Abbott should not be starting games for the Nationals, you know, like – I almost don't want to just rip on Corey Abbott because he's been put in a position that he shouldn't be in. 
The Nats on July 30th recalled Abbott from AAA Rochester. He's only starting games for the Nats because Eric Fetty is on the 15-day entered list due to right shoulder inflammation. Corey Abbott is a guy who the Nats claimed off waivers from the San Francisco Giants on May 4th. I mean, he really is more of a reliever than a starter. And you're asking him here to start games. And, you know, he had that surprisingly successful outing just a few days ago, that 5-1 win over the Mets at Nationals Park this past Tuesday night. Corey Abbott, five scoreless innings. But as we see so often in sports, you see the surprisingly successful outing. And then it's like you come crashing back down to earth. And crash back down to earth, Corey Abbott did on Sunday afternoon. He ended up allowing in this game seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. Now, like you said, he tossed a perfect bottom of the first, which is so funny looking back on it. But the final line really ended up being something ugly. I mean, you know, if not for Patrick Corbin's two recent outings of six runs in two-thirds of an inning, this Corey Abbott outing would be a strong candidate for worst outing by a Nat starter this season. Seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, four home runs, a double and two singles. He issued five walks and a hit by pitch. He had a mere two strikeouts. I mean, it really was not good in this game. And there's like a new standard of bad now because of what Corbin has done in two of his last three outings. But like, this was quite bad. You give up four homers, you issue five walks, you don't even complete four innings. You know, you just go back to that word non-competitive. I mean, it just was not competitive with him. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I'm losing count at this point. Gray gave up four homers on Friday night, correct? So that's the second time in three days. Two times in three days, Hal, the starting pitcher gave up four homers. And then the one in between didn't even get three outs on Saturday. That happened with a Major League Baseball team. People paid tickets. People paid parking. They paid for concessions. And that's what they saw from a Major League Baseball team in three straight days. I really do wonder what Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez must be thinking about all of this. There's no way that they ever thought things would be this bad this season. I mean, I don't think that they thought that this team would be a good team this season. But there are levels of bad, you know, and I think probably the thinking internally was, yeah, we're not going to be a playoff team. We're not going to be a very good team. But, you know, we can be a feisty, plucky team. We can be a team that shows improvement as the season goes on. And we can maybe scrap our way to like, I don't know, 70 wins or something like that. This team isn't going to sniff 70 wins. This team isn't going to sniff 60 wins the way this season is going. And you know what? Right now, it feels like getting to 50 wins very much is going to be a challenge for this team. This really is something like this is a level of bad that we haven't seen at least since the back to back hundred loss seasons. And I don't know, man. I mean, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but it's starting to feel like this team is appreciably worse than even those back to back hundred loss teams of 2008 and 2009. I mean, we'll see what the season ending record and season ending numbers end up being. But, you know, if you're Mike Rizzo, right, and you're used to having a playoff caliber team and you see this decline, okay, the decline is one thing, but you see just how wretched this team has become. And because you have like no organizational pitching depth, you're doing things like starting Corey Abbott and Paolo Espino and only now are starting to even ponder the notion of pulling Patrick Corbin from your rotation. Like, this is where we are with this starting pitching. It really was rough. So, you know, he gave up the four homers, Abbott did. How'd you like the uh, bunt single by Kyle Schwarber on Sunday afternoon? I got a kick out of that. Abbott in the bottom of the third gave up a run. Uh, He began the bottom of the third by giving up in succession, a hit by pitch, a single, and two walks. And the single was a first pitch bunt single 
by Kyle Schwarber toward third base to beat the shift. I don't know if he should be applauded for that or not, because if you're not swinging away and hitting bombs in your Kyle Schwarber, then I think like the Nats have probably won because they've gotten you to bunt. But that was an impressive bunt by Schwarber. Yeah, I, uh, I was hoping you'd bring this up. The Schwarber bunt, as I saw on Twitter. I thought of you because I know that every time Soto did it, you know, it, it drove you nuts. And Schwarber, you know, it's funny because he's he's in the leadoff spot, but we know why he's in the leadoff spot, sort of a new age reason. But uh, I got a kick out of Kyle Schwarber, leadoff hitter who lays down a bunt single, just like, you know, he's Ricky Henderson or something. That was funny to watch. But I, uh, I like when guys do that because it keeps fielders honest. And uh, so I gave him a tip of the cap on that. Well, it worked, and uh, at least he didn't have an opportunity to home run against the Nats, so from that perspective, I was happy. But yeah, I mean, some of these homers were brutal. Abbott, in the bottom of the fourth, allowed five runs. He, in the inning, gave up three home runs. Uh, He gave up a one-out, two-run homer to Nick Maton to right field for a 4-0 Phillies lead. That homer going a projected 414 feet per stat cast. Abbott gave up a one-out, two-run homer to Reese Hoskins to left center field for a 6-0 Phillies lead. Abbott gave up a two-out solo homer to Derek Hall to right field on an 0-2 pitch for a 7-0 Phillies lead. That homer went a projected 406 feet. Uh, That was Hall's second homer of the game. He hit a leadoff first pitch opposite field homer in the bottom of the second inning to left field for a 1-0 Phillies lead. So yeah, I mean, rough outing for Corey Abbott. And, you know, you would say, well, he shouldn't start for the Nats moving forward. But you also would say, well, then who? If not Corey Abbott, then who? The Nats do not seem to be in a hurry to call up Cade Cavalli. And beyond Cavalli, there aren't many other reasonable options. I mean, we're waiting on Mackenzie Gore to get healthy. He's going to start playing catch here, but he's coming off elbow inflammation. I think with him, you take it slow. So, you know, we're not even certain that he's going to start for the Nats at the major league level over the course of the rest of this season. So we'll see. I mean, you got a three-game series coming up at the Chicago Cubs, and you look at the probables for that series in terms of starting pitching for the Nats. Anibal Sanchez in game one, Paolo Espino in game two, Josiah Gray in game three. Now, Gray, okay. I mean, he's got to be better, but at least you feel like there's hope with him. You know, with those other two guys, I mean, Anibal Sanchez is starting on Monday night. Raise your hand if you expect him to break this current streak of bad outings by Nats starting pitchers. Like, that's probably not going to happen. He's probably going to get roughed up as Nats starters did over the course of these four games at the Phillies. I have no pushback to that. I will say this. I know earlier in the year, you did not enjoy the Aaron Sanchez experience, and the Nats cut him over Memorial Day weekend. I do wonder, though, Al, I know that it can be a bit of a wasted start, but forgive me if I butcher the guy's name, Donaldson Lamette, who was uh, DFA'd from the Brewers after they acquired him. He's now a Rocky. I do wonder if Mike Rizzo should keep his eye on the starting pitching scrap heap to get through the rest of the way, just so we can avoid maybe these Corey Abbott starts and things like that. And maybe you catch a little bit of Josh Rogers September 2021 lightning in the bottle a little bit to help out, just get a little bit creative. Because otherwise, if you're just going to keep it within the organization, I think we're going to have more and more series like we had this weekend. Yeah, I mean, unless you just start promoting guys who shouldn't be promoted and you're just like, okay, guys, let's see what you have. You know, you do like you did with, say, Evan Lee, you know, and you bring him up before you really should have brought him up. But of course, he ended up getting injured. And that's another thing. When you do that, when you bring guys up before they should be brought up, you do risk injury. And sure enough, that happened with Evan Lee. So I don't know. I mean, there's no obvious answer. There's no great answer. There's no easy answer. You know, the hope is that sometime soon, Cade Cavalli is ready to be summoned to the majors, but they don't seem to think that he's ready. And I don't want them to bring him up if they don't think that he's ready. Like, you know, we're not going to sacrifice 
your top pitching prospect here, or at least one of your top pitching prospects here, because the rest of your organizational pitching depth isn't very good. Like that shouldn't impact things with Cavalli. So we'll see. I mean, what we saw over the weekend in Philadelphia, we're probably going to be seeing more of here as time goes on. Now you brought up the bullpen and, and you know, that's a domino effect of what went on with the starting pitching in this series, you know, off what happened with Corbin on Saturday night, six runs in two thirds of an inning to get what we got from Corey Abbott on Sunday. I mean, boy, did this Nats bullpen have to shoulder a heavy load over the final two games of this series. Saturday night, you had six Nats relievers combining to allow five runs in seven and a third innings. And then on Sunday afternoon, you only had three Nats relievers pitching, but they ended up having to throw four into third innings and combine to allow six runs, four earned in those four into third innings. Now, let me credit Erasmo Ramirez. He did a really nice job. Two and a third scoreless, hitless, and walkless innings. We then had the return of Mason Thompson of the Nats on Sunday option, Jordan Weems to AAA Rochester, and recalled Thompson from Rochester. Thompson in the bottom of the seventh on Sunday afternoon, allowed a run on three singles, did have two strikeouts. But then, like you said, the bottom of the eighth that refused to end, Victor Arano, five runs, three earned on two doubles, a single, a walk, and a hit by pitch. We'll get to why only three of the five runs were earned momentarily, but you're going to have this, right? When you're leaning on this bullpen like this, you're going to have like what we had from Arano on Sunday afternoon or what we had from Jordan Weems on Saturday night, three runs in two into third innings. I mean, you just, guys, these relievers aren't going to all come in and be great. Like guys are going to have issues. And we certainly saw that over the final two games of this series. Every single day when they have, it seems like they have to pitch five innings, is if they have to pitch four innings, that's great. But it seems like now it's almost like six, seven. That seems to be the daily workload. As we speak, Al, Tyler Clippert has taken them out in Rochester. So do wonder if Tyler Clippert will be joining his big league brethren soon in the near future. I'm not even blaming the bullpen guys because they're just being asked to shoulder so much. And um, you remember last year in the final few months where it seemed like there was a daily shuttle between Rochester and D.C.? You, you had the names like... Um, Alberto Baldonado. That guy. Yeah, exactly. Gabe Klobitzit. So I wonder if we're going to start seeing those names come again just out of sheer necessity to have fresh arms on a daily basis. Yeah, I think you probably are. You mentioned Rochester. So we're taping this installment of the Nats Chat podcast as Rochester's Sunday game is going on. Cade Cavalli did start that game. His line is complete. Two runs in five innings. Uh, He had four strikeouts, did issue three walks, did give up six hits. He threw 82 pitches, 49 strikes versus 33 balls. So, you know, he's been decent lately, but he's not like been lights out. And I think that's probably what the Nats are looking to see here. Like he's having these kind of ho-hum outings, which are better than bad outings. Remember, he got off to a bad start this season for Rochester. But uh, you really want to see him like just start killing it to where you're like, okay, now is the time. He's not doing that just yet. He's not having dominant outings that make you say, all right, he's banging on the door. He's ready to kick it down. We need to bring him up to the major league level. We're not there yet, unfortunately, with Cade Cavalli. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is time for Window Nation's back to school sale. And what a sale this is. 
Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. Lower your energy bills. Raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Get an A-plus in savings by taking advantage of the back-to-school sale. Again, two free windows for every two that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Window Nation knows exactly what it's doing. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. And Window Nation offers a variety of windows. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the back-to-school sale. Again, buy two windows, get two windows free on any style of new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2025. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now the pitch. Swing and a slow ground ball to short. Charging up Garcia scoops. Throws on the run. It's way off the mark into the Phillies dugout. Avoid didn't even reach for it. No, it was not in the vicinity. Zip code, area code, county. Wow. Of first base. So the boo-boo defensively for the Nationals in that five-run Phillies eighth on Sunday afternoon. So Luis Garcia was in that starting shortstop, and he had another throwing error in this game. Garcia in that Phillies five-run eighth, a one-out throwing error on a grounder off the bat of Alec Bohm. Garcia, while charging in, appeared to look at Bohm as opposed to looking at the target of the throw. That's what appeared to happen. I mean, you know, we're not in Luis Garcia's mind, so we're, we can't be positive about something like that. But, you know, he makes the fielding of the grounder just fine. And then on the throw, the throw is way off. All right? He airmailed that throw. And it was funny, you know, we used to see Josh Bell like twist and contort his body in all kinds of ways to try to catch these Luis Garcia throws. 
I don't know if this throw was just truly uncatchable or if Luke Voigt was like, homie, don't play that. I'm not trying. But Voigt didn't like even attempt to catch it. It was like, Voigt was like, okay, no, no, what's the point here? You know, I'm Luke Voigt. I'm not going after that. So it was another throwing error for Luis Garcia. And this was a no doubter. Luis Garcia entered Sunday with minus 13 defensive runs saved at shortstop at the major league level this season. Keep in mind, Luis Garcia was not recalled from AAA Rochester until June 1st, so he's accumulated minus 13 defensive runs saved despite having not begun his major league season here until June 1st. Davey Martinez, during his pregame session with reporters on Saturday, said that Garcia has been getting reps at second base in anticipation of C.J. Abrams' arrival at the major league level in the coming weeks. He's already been over there 10 ground balls. Like I said, just in case uh, we do bring up Abrams up here, Abrams is a shortstop, is maybe the top player who the Nats got back from the San Diego Padres. So what we have presumed, it looks like, is going to be the case. Luis Garcia is not long for shortstop. As soon as C.J. Abrams is brought up, he'll be the shortstop and Garcia will move back to probably where he should have been from the beginning, second base. I'm glad that the Nats gave him a shot at shortstop. That's a more important defensive position, but it just is not working out this season. To the Abrams point, Al, this feeling, I'm unfamiliar with it in the last 13 months, but it feels like, is it good news? Would that be what you call it for the Washington Nationals? We're unfamiliar with this feeling, but this sounds good. C.J. Abrams has big league experience. He's been playing in Rochester, just got a hit actually for Rochester as they're hoping to avoid their 16th or their 17th consecutive loss. I actually kind of volley back to you, Al. He played for San Diego for a lot of the year because of Fernando Tatis's injury. I know he's now having an introductory weekend with the organization in Rochester, but like, why can't he be in Wrigley Field playing shortstop on Monday night? How much time does he need to sort of quote-unquote acclimate himself before he can join the big league club? I would think not much. I don't know if maybe the Nats want him to go to Rochester so they can get a better handle on what they have in him. But yeah, to your point, I mean, it doesn't seem like this stint at Rochester needs to be long. And you could argue, you know, it's not even necessary to begin with. So you'd have to ask the Nats why they're doing There must be some reason because otherwise you bring them to the majors right now. But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be, like you say, good news, right? These days, pretty much anything that isn't awful news qualifies as good news for the Nats. But I, I think it will be exciting when they call him up because, if you can, in your mind, picture Kbert Ruiz at catcher, Garcia at second, C.J. Abrams at shortstop, that has the potential to be a very nice triumvirate up the middle in your infield for years to come. Now, potential. You know, we got to see these guys produce, but all three guys are talented, and, you know, that could be a nice sort of nucleus for your infield moving forward here in this rebuild. The Nats right now, they are starving for guys to be playing for them who are potential building blocks. You know, it's one of the shames of this season. We've seen way too much of guys who just are not going to be here beyond this year or don't offer any real promise moving forward. Abrams, Garcia, Ruiz are guys you feel like you can get invested in as this season goes on. Now, you know, with Garcia, he has hit well for the most part, although he's cooled off, but the defense has been a problem. You know, with Kbert Ruiz, he has defended well for the most part, but his offense really isn't going so well. Kbert Ruiz now... This season has an OPS of just 641. He on Sunday afternoon went 0 for 3 with a walk and two strikeouts, left three men on base. So, you know, I feel like that's been kind of an underrated thing about this season. Ruiz defensively has been a bright spot, and I do want to give him credit for that. And he's obviously playing an important defensive position in catcher. But remember, one of the selling points on Ruiz was that he could be a very good all-around catcher. And we're not seeing the offense here this season. And I would like to see some more of that as this season goes on, because 
if it ends up being that he's one of many catchers in the majors who are, you know, good defensively, but don't give you much offensively, that's a disappointment because that's not what he was supposed to be. He's supposed to be a cut above that. It can take time for catchers to blossom offensively. As with Josiah Gray, you don't write K but Ruiz off or anything like that. But I know for me, I'm kind of eyeing Ruiz and I'm saying, you know, I'd like to see him start to ascend a little bit offensively as this season goes on. It's funny you say that because I'm going to give him a pass on offense for the final few months because his defensive responsibilities are so much right now with this awful pitching staff. And, you know, he's going to be in a crouch for an hour and a half for the first three innings pretty much every day the rest of the way. So, listen, I think Cabo Ruiz is so important to the future of this franchise. I've liked what I've seen. I hear you on the declining offensive statistics. I'm going to give him a pass on the bat for the year. Well, he may be in a crouch. He probably wants to be in the fetal position with the way these guys are pitching. So we'll see if he can maintain that crouch as the rest of this season goes on. A bright spot for the Nats at the Phillies. Yes, we did find a bright spot. Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt had a nice first series as a national. He was the Nats' number three batter in all four games in the series. He was the starting DH in game one and then was the starting first baseman in games two through four. And Luke Voigt for the series, six for 13 with a homer, five singles, and two walks. He had that home run on Saturday night. He had the Nats' four-run six, had a leadoff opposite field homer to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 9-1. And then Voigt on Sunday afternoon, two for three with two singles and a walk. He, in the top of the fourth, had a one-out single to left field on a 1-2 pitch. He, in the top of the sixth, drew a one-out six-pitch walk despite having been down to the count at 1.02. And Voigt, in the top of the eighth, had a two-out single to left field. I would say for Luke Voigt, he has been as advertised, a guy who has a reputation for being a professional hitter, and he certainly came off like that in this series at the Phillies. Yeah, it really hit me kind of in the face on Thursday when he made his debut because I forgot about him in the trade because he was initially in it. It took a while, and we were focusing on the prospects. I really like the look of Luke Voigt hitting third. You know, that's a positive development. As you said, he's a professional hitter. He's a big league hitter. He belongs in the middle of the lineup. Because I didn't think they were going to have any bat whatsoever. And so Voight and Yadiel Hernandez, 3-4. Okay, I've seen worse. So I'm happy he's there. It's kind of funny that if the August 31st waiver deadline still existed, which we used to have, I feel like Rizzo maybe would have tried to flip Voight for September, which obviously he can't do. Voight will help them win a few games here and there because he'll be a bat that some reliever doesn't want to face late in the game. Yeah, he can hit. I mean, I think on a good team, he's not a number three batter. I think on a good team, he's like a number six batter, maybe a number five batter. But for now, I mean, he's the guy who you look at as being the most dependable batter for the Nats. That's for sure. I mean, he in his career has hit. That's been something he's done pretty consistently in his major league career. The Nats on Sunday afternoon, just the one run, had just seven hits, worked three walks, went one for nine with runners in scoring position. Voigt had two hits and a walk. Cesar Hernandez actually had three hits in the game. Cesar Hernandez, though, after the game, declined to speak with the media. I don't know why, but per Nats insider Bobby Blanco of MassInSports.com, Cesar Hernandez declined to speak with the media after the game. No reason as to why was provided. Um, This kind of reminds me of Joey Manessis not hustling. Who are you, Joey Manessis, not to hustle in that game on Saturday night. And to say so, Hernandez, I would say, you know, all due respect, who are you to decline to talk to the media after this game on Sunday afternoon? Now, look, maybe there's some personal issue that came up. Okay, so I don't want to crush Cesar Hernandez. Maybe a family thing came up and he had to bolt. You know, I don't know. 
But if that's not the case, <laughs> I mean, who who is Cesar Hernandez to not be talking to reporters? I, I felt the same way, Al. You know, obviously, if he has a reason, then, you know, that's that. But uh, I gave a little side eye to that, too. It's like you can't just stand there and give three cliche quotes about how we're trying and we'll take it one day at a time and, and we'll pack up and move on to, to Wrigley Field. Like, I just, that really struck me. The Manessas thing, by the way, because you were on it last night, I just want to say I absolutely cannot believe he didn't run that out. Manessas has to slam on the brakes and dives back into first. He has been riding the minor league buses for a decade, a decade, and he doesn't run it out in his first week in the big leagues. That is <laughs> one of the more surprising things I've seen in a while. It is, um, on the one hand, it's shocking, and on the other hand, it like it fits like a glove with this season and everything that has gone on with this team. We continue to get a lot of great emails. We appreciate all of them. You can hit us up, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. That's natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We got this email from Joel Charney, a very smart baseball fan, always writes us good emails. He says, hey guys, <laughs> this is embarrassing and it may get worse after today, as in Sunday, the Nats have 52 more games. If you include the Orioles as contenders, 35 of the Nats' remaining games are against teams in the playoff hunt, including seven games with the Padres in the final stretch to finish the season against the Mets, Braves, and Phillies, and six of the Nats' easy games, and he puts easy in quotation marks, are against the Marlins, who the Nats couldn't beat with Soto and Bell. The lineup is a joke, and the pitching is horrendous apart from the A bullpen. 110 losses is in the realm of possibility. It's unfathomable. I suppose the Nats shouldn't call up guys who aren't really ready for the purposes of giving fans some hope, but at a minimum, they need to get Abrams and Cavalli up in September unless they truly think it would damage their careers. There is almost literally no reason to watch the Nats right now. Thank you for the email, Joel. There may not be reason to watch the Nats. There is always reason to listen to the Nats Chat podcast. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Don't call up Cavalli et al. just to call them up. Call them up because they are ready. But look, if they don't call up Cavalli the rest of this season because they don't think he's ready, that is a massive red flag. Okay, that is very concerning if the Nats still, by the time we get to September, don't think that Cavalli is ready to be summoned to the majors. This bears worth watching. I think it's already a disappointment that he's not up now. I think this already is an indictment, at least to a degree, of where the Nats think that Cavalli is. So let's see, you know, like we're not going to sound alarm sirens just yet with Kate Cavalli, but he was supposed to be up by now. He was supposed to be up really probably like a month or two ago. If he's not up by the end of the season, I think you really have to start to ask some questions about where is he exactly in his development? It'd be a stunner if he's not called up at any point. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I really thought, I forget what the circumstances were, but it just felt like he was going to get called up because he had a decent start. His next turn in the rotation matched up with a home game. So it just seemed to make sense. Well, now he pitched, you know, today, as you, you read off the pitching line earlier, it was, you know, it was fine. You know, gave up two runs in five innings and, and a few strikeouts right after we had this terrible pitching weekend highlighted or lowlighted by Patrick Corbin. You know, this would be another opportunity for Mike Rizzo to sit back and think, okay, is this now the time to bring him up? Because also, if you were to bring him up next weekend, it would serve as a nice little diversion to what's not going to be a very fun Friday evening when Juan Soto comes back to town less than two weeks right after the trade. It wouldn't, although, you know, if you're Rizzo, I mean, do you want Cavalli starting against that Padres lineup? 
You know, I mean, I wonder how much that enters into the Nats thinking. I mean, do you want Cavalli facing Soto next weekend? I'm not sure if you do. I don't know how they think about something like that. I mean, look, when it comes to next weekend slash this coming weekend against the Padres, if you're the Nats, you're just going to have to wear it, okay? Soto and the Padres are coming to Nationals Park for a weekend series. Two of the three games are quote-unquote national television games, Apple TV Plus and Peacock, if you consider those to be national television, right? National streaming games anyway. This is going to be a huge series. This is going to get a lot of attention. And uh, barring the unforeseen, the Padres are going to ravage the Nets. And you just got to swallow it and take it. I mean, that's just what's going to happen, okay? Like Joey Eichen said years ago, you're going to have to suck on it and like it. So I would not do anything just to deal with that series. Like that series is going to be what it's going to be. But obviously, there's the bigger issue here of where are you with Cavalli? And is there anything we can do to start getting some of these younger pitchers up and pitching for you? You know, we haven't even mentioned like Cole Henry. Could we see Cole Henry at the major league level before the end of this season? I know that he just got to AAA more recently than Cavalli did. But, you know, what might we see with that? So it's tough, man. It's really tough. We got this email from John Walker. I mean, how about this? He says, the Nats have been down by at least four runs after three innings in 19 of the team's losses this year. And in an additional eight games, the Nats have been down by at least four runs after five innings. 27 games total in which the Nats have not, by any measure, been competitive. Yeah, I I mean, and that's all captured by that run differential. That's why I bring that up, because I think run differential is a very telling stat. Nats have a major league worst run differential of minus 196. As we are taping this installment of the podcast, The next worst run differential in the majors is the Pittsburgh Pirates minus 147. So think about that. The Nats are minus 49 runs worse than the next worst team in run differential for the year. It gives you a sense of just how badly the Nats have gotten beaten this year, outscored by 196 runs over the course of a 36 and 74 record. If you told me, I'm not trying to be funny here. If you told me that they were being outscored by 350 runs, I would believe you. Whatever number you said would sound right and appropriate. <laughs> it feels like that, man. It does feel like that. So, look, we know it's been a rough week. It's obviously been a rough season, but we appreciate all of you for listening. And we are going to continue to be with you after every Nats game day. And there is no shortage of stuff to get into with the Nats. I mean, it stinks that the team is as bad, but there's a lot to talk about with this team and why this team is where it is and where this team can be headed here moving forward. So keep the feedback coming. You know, consider this podcast like your therapy. You know, we're like Fraser Crane. If you remember the great show Fraser from back in the day, I'm listening. You know, that's the mantra for this podcast. I'm listening. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the podcast, hit up Tim Shovers. Again, that email address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. That's NatsChatPodcast.square.site. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider writing a brief uh, like one or two sentence review saying that you like the podcast. Uh, The ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful. And we thank you very much for doing them. All Nats radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. Mark Zuckerman will be back with us for the next installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. Good afternoon, Seattle. My name is Dr. Fraser Crane. 
If you can feel, I can heal. I'm still, I'm listening, feeling blue. I'm listening, feeling sad, feeling mad, feeling bad, feeling glad. I'm listening. I'm listening. What's new? I'm listening, feeling blue. I'm listening, feeling sad, feeling mad, feeling bad, feeling glad. I'm listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.